morning. You're listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Natural and Kosher Cheeses, when quality and flavor matter. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi Nachman, and I'm about all the food all the time. I love food. I love shopping for it, cooking it, eating at restaurants, anything food-related. I'm a kosher personal chef. My business is called the Aussie Gourmet. I give cooking classes, run chop competitions, cater for people for Shabbos, Yontov, Shavuos. Anytime you don't feel like cooking, you can give me a call. I hope you'll tune in every week and hear about my exciting cooking adventures, my amazing guests, and sharing of great recipes um, and food experiences too. Um, But I want this to be a conversation, so email me, Naomi, at nachamsegel.com and let me hear about what you're up to and what recipes you ate at, at, recipes you made and restaurants you ate at. So I'm very excited to hear from everyone. We are back in the hot seat today. It's the couple of days after Pesach. Uh, we are very excited to be back here. ZK and I had a little reunion today. We haven't seen each other in about, I don't know, three weeks. We recorded our last show together. So we are back back in the studio, back here on the Lower East Side. And we're just going to have an amazing show uh, lined up today. We have guests, two guests. We have Yossi Horowitz from... Yossi's corkboard. He's been. Uh, he was on the show just a couple of weeks ago, but he was so entertaining and so engaging. And I said, I got to have him back for our big show after Pesach for our spring, um, our spring premiere. Uh, and also, one of my favourite chefs, one of my favourite restaurants, Fireside in Muncie. I have Chef Alex. Re- Am I saying it right? Rima or Remer? Yeah, Remer. Remer, but it's spelt Remer, right? R-E-M-E-R. Well, everything sounds weird with my accent. Right. So, <laughs> um, I want to do a bit of a Pesach roundup before we uh, continue with the show. There were two fantastic restaurants that I want to give a shout out to. Zach the Baker. Yes, Zach the Baker. I love their food. They were fabulous. I was went there Erev Chag and right after the Chag, the Monday. I came back Monday night after the Chag. So I went Monday for lunch. We had a 40-minute wait in the hot sun. They actually gave out umbrellas, which was so cute. Uh, Zach came out and spoke to everyone. I was like a little starstruck. I took a picture with him. I put on Facebook. Um, He has amazing breads and sourdough breads, um, but it's what he put on them. He had like incredible food. Please go onto my Instagram page and have a look at the avocado toast that I put up, um, which was unbelievable. Uh, and I also want to give a big shout out to Soho Asian Bar and Grill. Surprising find. I don't know if you had been there, but really well priced. We ate outside, so it was beautiful. It was like six o'clock at night. It was beautiful to sit outside. And the food was like terrific. Like uh, we had pad thai. I called this, they had this summer chicken salad that was piled really high, massive, really good value, really good flavors. So that was a very nice find. And, of course, I must give a shout-out. I, I, I didn't have it on my notes, but uh, Yossi and I actually spoke about this. 26 Tapas and Sushi, always a favourite. Always good every time. Actually, when the chef heard I was there, he sent out a complimentary um, sushi tasting menu for my family. So it was really amazing. We had a great time there. Um, and, of course, my friend David from Chef David from Harborside Grill, their charcuterie, if you are down in Florida, you must go try the charcuterie. It's nothing like I've ever had before. And as you know, I'm a big charcuterie fan, so I love that. Um, one more final talk about Pesach is I was on the uh, VIP Ram Pesach program. It was absolute magic. The Doral, uh, the Trump uh, National Doral was beautiful. Uh, the food was unbelievable. If you've seen for my Instagram pages or my Facebook pages, I just want to thank Simon Albach, Stuart Morgenstern, Paul Glasser, Barry Samanowitz, Faye Gertelman, especially to Faye for um, helping put everything together. Um, my entire team that helped me, Marianne, Mike and Matt, who are always there to help me from RAM, VIP RAM. So really, it's an, it was an incredible program. They excelled. I thought it, after last year's program, it could not be better. This It was even it was through the roof this year, like really through the roof from the tea room to the meals. Just And of course, Hashem provided us with beautiful weather and I gave... 13 cooking demos. I think I spoke more than the rabbis. <laughs> more than the Duff Yomis because, you know, there was only eight or nine of those. Depends how long you were there for. I did 13 classes. So really a big thank you to the entire team of the RAM. So I think I've spoken enough monologue. It is time to turn to my amazing guests. Now, you see a whole lot of things going on. If you're watching on our YouTube channel on Nachum Siegel Net, 
uh, you will be able to watch our show. And today's actually a very exciting show because Yossi has actually bought in a sous vide machine. We've spoken about it with Yosef Silva, um, but we tried to describe it. But you can't really describe it unless you see it in action. So uh, we're going to welcome onto our show Yossi, and then Alex is going to join us in a little bit. How's it going? All good. I totally, before I get into the sous vide, I yeah. wanted to totally second what you said about sushi, uh, about 26 sushi and tapas. By far and above the best restaurant I've ever been to in Miami. Uh, it was so good that we went there for dinner and we were so amazed by both the quality of food, the service, the friendliness, the knowledge about each and every dish that we went back the next day for lunch and for dinner again. <laughs> you went there three times. I did. In two I days. love that that you did that. And. Pretty much, I think we went through everything on the menu, and it really was an, just an incredible, incredible experience. Um, mostly fish, uh, made in many, many different ways. It's a per- Peruvian-style restaurant. Right. What does that mean, Peruvian-style, for our listeners who are not familiar? Um, well, just based on the type of food, a lot of um, ceviche, cured, uh, cured fish cured in lemon juice or, or, or other acids, and... Um, it was a lot of foods that I hadn't had before, a lot of uh, flavors and, and things that I had before. And I, I'd say over the three meals that I had there, we tried probably 47 different dishes. And <laughs> the only one, as shocking as it may be, the only one that I thought felt a little bit flat, still good, but felt a little bit flat, were two of the desserts, which you know, in a dairy restaurant is not what you would expect. But for those of you who are scared of eating raw fish or ceviche, they do have... Um, some of the best mozzarella sticks I've ever tasted in my life. Well, they obviously don't call them that, but that's effectively what they are. Right. Um, Fried cheese. And it was really just an unbelievable experiment, experience. It was unfortunate. I felt that many of the other restaurants right before Pesach were jam-packed and couldn't, people couldn't get reservations at them. Um, while this restaurant had plenty of seats and tables. I think right. It, I was surprised I could get a table for such a – it's for the Florida's best restaurant. I think people just – you know, when they go out to eat, they want to have a big, big steak – and and large portions and people are still unfamiliar or uncomfortable with things that they haven't tried before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there weren't a lot of fail-safes at this restaurant. You know, it wasn't like you go there and try one dish that you don't want and then order the chicken fingers or the hot dogs or something that you've heard of before. So anybody going down to Florida, frankly, even if you're not going down to Florida, get on a plane, drive there. It will be totally worth your time and... Um, I look forward to many more meals there. It's really cool about Surfside. Um, when I met with, I can't not remember Chef David's last name. I'm drawing a blank. Um, it's a Spanish last name. He's a Jewish guy. Uh, he came from um, Colombia. He made Aliyah and then made his way to Miami. Um, he's a very, very talented chef. Uh, so he's the chef at Harborside Grill. And he took me around. Oh, that's mine. Sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of my phone. I put on silent. Um, and he said, two years ago, there were two or three restaurants in Harborside. Now there are... Surfside. Surfside. Now there are nine. Yep. That whole area is flooded with restaurants. And out where Zach the Baker is, obviously Zach's an incredible chef. He actually cooked with uh, Salomonov at the South Beach. Did uh, you go festival. to that? I did not. I know uh, you did. No, I did not. You did not either. I did not. The only person <clears throat> I know that went was Shlomi Klein from Joy of Kosher. I like to, to, like to have gone to that. I don't yes. think I realized how big it was. But um, but anyways, so I, I just wanted to agree with that. I was pretty excited about that. It's very rare for me to go to a restaurant and, and like be everything on the dish and then go back the next day twice. Right. But Zach the Baker was crazy. Were you there before Yom Tov? Yeah, yeah. I've been there. I've been to Zach So he before. changed his menu. Yeah, I know. He changed his menu. Um, I had all these like weird things on my on my toast, on my avocado toasts. Um, I'm just... I mean, I think, I think ultimately what... what What's so? I mean, when we should. I, I don't want to take up too much time talking about Miami, since people probably won't be there till next year, Pesach, or at least till winter break. But, um, but I think what 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 people are particularly. I'm just holding. What up people don't happen. realize is that what's so great about some of these restaurants that we've talked about, or or other ones, is that they they they're people who are careful with what they do. They're meticulous. They're meticulous about the freshness, about the food, about the quality of the food, and they understand how the flavors work together. And like what Zach does is not particularly at his world, but he has the freshest ingredients and he is on top of everything that happens in his restaurant and the results are very obvious. I, I don't know where he, this is. I just held up the, the Instagram picture that I put up um, to the screen, but it was Picard Agi, A-G-I, I never heard of that before, Dolce Romesco on country wheat with avocado on top. Right. So it's an understanding about the flavors and I think when restaurant owners or chefs 
their goal is to make good food and serve it to the customer and have the customer enjoy it, the restaurant is a success. When the primary goal is to make money or to squeeze out as much as you can in an understandably very tough business to succeed in, I think that also speaks for itself. Yeah. And I think I would like to see more people, and I think more and more people are, um, focus on the quality of the food, the quality of the dishes, and I believe that the customers will are beginning to appreciate that more and more. Absolutely. As the food industry just continually to grow, I'm sure Alex feels the same way. I hope. <laughs> um, okay, so let, let's talk a little bit more about what we've got going in front of us here. So, so sous vide has been around for probably about, I want to say, 10 years, but not in the restaurant business. What does sous vide mean? So it means cooking with vacuum. There you go. Um, and, and basically what it is is cooking food in hot water. Um, different than poaching or boiling? Very different than poaching or boiling. How, the, the, how so? so? So in a nutshell, what you do is you take whatever food it is that you want it to cook, and not all foods are, 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 are suitable for sous vide, but most are, and whether it's meat, poultry, fish, vegetables, eggs, you, you vacuum pack it in a, in, a, in a bag, and you shouldn't be scared by the concept of vacuum packing because for the first probably six or eight months that I was cooking with sous vide, I was, I was taking Ziploc bags and sucking out the air and putting it in, and, and you know that's not exactly vacuum packed, and you need to weigh it down, otherwise it floats to the top, but that served... Uh, perfectly fine. You put the food in a, in a bag, you season it, and there are a lot of different variations. And again, depending on what you cook, you sear it before you sous vide it, you, you sear it after you sous vide it, you, 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 you season it before after. You put it in the bag, you cook it for uh, 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 a certain amount of time at a certain temperature, then you pull it out and, and you eat it, and, and that's it. And, you know, machines used to be $10,000, $15,000. Their official name is an immersion circulator which, uh, as its name would indicate, is you immerse the food in, in water. And the machine, which if you're, on, if you're watching, you can see here is just a stick, which is stuck in a regular crock pot, uh, crock pot or stock pot with water in it. And it just circulates the water and it maintains a constant temperature at whatever temperature you want. We happen to be cooking steak. Uh, here today. Yummy. Um, I actually cooked it last night in preparation for the show because... What I do you mean you cooked it? So you... T walk, so us, walk us through okay. that process. So as with anything you make, the you have to start with a good piece of meat. Okay? Right. You, you should not be buying the uh, third of an inch steaks that are at your local uh, supermarket and sous videoing them because you could put them on the, on the grill or on your skillet and in three minutes they'll be done assuming you eat it at a normal temperature of rare or medium rare or medium. I mean, beyond that, you should just eat your probably shoes. should eat other things like <laughs> chicken or cardboard or something like that. But assuming you're interested in... This in, is why in I a, have him back. This is why he's going to be Assuming you're interested, you start with a really good piece of meat. Um, I tend to get... We happen to t today be cooking a ribeye, a two-inch ribeye, which is pretty thick and is probably suitable for two people. You can... I wouldn't go below an inch. I think an inch and a half is preferable, but everybody has their own preferences. You want to get a well-marbled piece of meat that has you know, lines of fat running through it because that um, melts down into the meat and makes it more tender and flavorful. And really what you do is, what I do at least, is I'll season it with salt, a lot of salt. Kosher salt, of course. Usually kosher salt. Uh, rub it in, put it in the, in, in the Ziploc bag, um, regular Ziploc bag, suck out the air or let my kids do it. They find it very entertaining. <laughs> I usually will double bag it just in case because you don't want any water to actually come in contact with the meat. And then you just drop it in a, in a, in a pot filled with water. Um, I, I use these polycarbonate, um, plastic polycarbonate boxes because uh, they're bigger and you can, get, you can have more in it. But again, if you have a stock pot, you know, 10, 10 inches high, 12 inches high, you just use that. You fill it halfway with water or three-quarters of the way with water. Yeah, it's and okay. then and then you um, you stick your sous vide in. You hook it up to the end of the. Of the so this pot. is this black thing here that we've so, attached. So, it. Yeah, so this is the. Can sous -vide we get can we get a close up on that, DK? Sure. This is the sous vide machine, which is really literally just a stick with a control panel at the top, and a metal metal uh, bottom that has holes in it to, to circulate the air, and uh, and something that hooks onto the pot or to whatever it is that you're using to cook the, it, whether it's the polycarbonate co container. Or what have you? Plug it in, and then you set you set the you set the the time you set the time and the temperature, yeah. and you're and you're good to go. And you put it in for as long as you want. I tend to cook. Now again, is it like low and slow? It's ba it's it's basically low and slow. Yes, it's basically low and slow. The 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 primary advantage, let's say, for meat, 
when you cook sous vide is that you get a constant uh, temperature throughout the meat. So if you want, I cook, I'm cooking this steak at, at uh, again, I'm, I'm really uh, just bringing it back up to temperature. I cooked it last night for four hours. Um, it's not a quick method of cooking. Well, so, 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 so this is a two-inch ribeye that I pulled out straight from the freezer when I got home from work, so it needed more time. Okay. Um, one of the great things about sous vide is you can wake up in the morning, take your steak out of the freezer, drop it in the sous vide machine, set it to go for 10 hours, come back at home, and the steak is ready to go. You take it out, you put it on this cast iron skillet for a minute or two on each side just to sear it, so and you have dinner. So with, with sous vide cooking, from what I'm hearing from you, I mean, probably you wouldn't need to do it with fish, but if you're cooking chicken on meat, Need to sear it afterwards, so it gives it well, that. Well, it, it, it Ma- mallard. What, what's it? Mallard, mallard reaction, reaction for caramelized. Yeah, so you need to caramelize it if you want. Um, some like a brisket, you don't necessarily have to do that. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people do, some people do, is they'll add like some sort of soy marinade if they're doing a brisket, only because the color could sometimes be a little bit unappetizing. It could actually come out looking a tiny bit gray, just because of the way it was cooked. There's, it's not gray meat or anything like yeah. that, but it could some some of the some. I mean, I've done veal tongue, and 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 some things come out looking like they like different than what people are used to. But the ta- but, but but the thing is, and as as we'll see when we cut uh, the steak open. The difference is when you cook a steak in an oven or on a grill is that because it's outside heat and it's high heat usually to grill, then the outside then there's a gradation from the center outwards of different of different uh, of different doneness, right. right? So you want that sear on the outside because that really adds a, a huge uh, huge amount of flavor and flavor to to the steak. Right. But what you really want is you want the same doneness from from end to end. And that is really what you can achieve in, in sous vide. And another thing is you don't have to you don't have to babysit the meat, right? You know, I, I cook a, I use sous vide a lot, but um, at my Rosh Chodesh club, which is these monthly get-togethers we do every Rosh Chodesh for wine lovers, uh, I do a lot of sous vide cooking for that. And but last month it was our third anniversary, and I prepared a, a, a seven inch a seven rib rib roast, like a full uh, full rib roast. I did boneless, and it wouldn't fit in the sous vide. And also I, I want and I cooked it in the oven on low and slow. And I was at work because I have a day job, and I was calling my housekeeper every hour to take the meat thermometer and check the inside and the outside, and then you turn off the oven to let the inside catch up to the outside. And it came out amazingly cooked and perfectly cooked through and through. I can show you a picture if you're interested, but but it was a lot of babysitting. Right. right? This, you take a piece of meat, flat iron steak, minute roast, marrow bones, duck, steaks. You take it, like I said, you want to make a steak for dinner. You take it out in the morning. You drop it from the freezer with no seasoning, you don't have. It's better to season it before, so you could open it, right, we salt it, and then vacuum it, or not. Or th- this steak, I happen to do. I happen to season after. Uh, you definitely don't want the pepper because the pepper can burn when you sear it. You, you if you're going to sear it, it's better to do the pepper on after. After, it's okay. That's just my opinion. Alex might have a different view, and I'm sure many people. Everybody, I mean, we're all Jews. We have a d- different lots of different views about opinions. everything. Yeah. But I found I will. You just salt it, put it back in the bag, drop it in the sous vide, set it for ten hours, whenever, and you come home from work. Um, you open the bag, you dr- dab it dry, you put a little bit of uh, non-flavor, you know, peanut oil or something. I mean, some people use olive oil. Not a big fan of olive oil on my steaks, but you can use really any flavorless oil, you know, with a high smoke point is better. Add a little bit more salt, cast iron for a few minutes, and there's dinner. And it could just sit in the water all day long. I mean, when I make, I make sous vide ribs, 72-hour ribs. Put it in for so 72 hours. So you have three... Sitting in the pot. That's three days, right? Four three days? days? Three for days. Three days. For three days. And then it really cooks it all the way through, and, and it's just amazing. <laughs> and this is a great thing for Shabbos, right? You can, you can put it, you can cook it. I mean, the can halakha, I, will, I can't really talk about, no, challenge is not, it doesn't really work. I know someone machine. who did sous vide challenge. I've never done it, I'm sure it could be done, but it's not, it's not. You're the Shlas from Hasidin Hipster. He did a challenge in a I do know him. I don't know, I'm not. All the way down with the halachic implications of use. I mean, I've had the sous vide, I have the sous vide run over Shabbos, uh, but I've never taken food out of it on Shabbos and used it on Shabbos. But if, depending on what the halachic ramifications are, it's interesting. Are, you'd have to really give the rabbis a proper lesson on what it is because right. I don't think they know what I mean, it is. The temperature is. doesn't change when you take things in and out of it, which is one of the primary issues. Right. So that I know there there are people who have reputable halachic uh, approval to use it on on on, on Shabbat. I, oh, I don't, so and my wife's not very adventurous, so you know I'm the primary user at home of the uh, of the sous vide machine. But I, I mentioned eggs earlier. Eggs are another thing. Like yeah, we the, were originally going to do eggs on the show because we thought. But that I would thought be- that doing something a little bit more 
attainable or easier. Egg, the, the great thing about sous vide is its precision, right? right. You know, if you're cooking at an exact temperature for an exact amount of time and you don't have to watch it. You don't have to maintain it. There's no, you don't have to use a meat thermometer or any of those things. And eggs are one of those things where you can cook a perfect poached egg all the time, every time. You want to get, you know, I made steak tartare a, a few months ago and we had perfectly the, the exact right temperature uh, for the right time. And there are many websites. Serious Eats is a great resource for, for, for sous vide stuff. And you can pick, they actually have on the website, they have a they have a video that you can pick the consistency of the yolk that you want, and it will tell you exactly how to program how to program it and how long. It's really awesome, and it's great. And who doesn't like a perfectly runny uh, egg on top of pretty much anything? Uh, pretty much um, anything. I did a cooking class at my Pesach program on how to make poached eggs. It's actually a skill. You well, need it's a good thing that we didn't have this show before because nobody would have come to the cooking that's class. That's right. That's and and I had everyone like we got the water right, we got the vinegar. We you had to make the swirl. I had to teach them how to put. That you put the egg into a ramekin, and in the middle of the whirlpool that you swirl the water with, that's where the yolk go, the egg goes, and it makes this beautifully round. So you can do that. Uh, somebody with zero cooking talent who can just follow directions can make a perfectly cooked poached egg over and over and over again using the sous vide machine. I put the eggs in in their shells, not even in a bag. Just drop them in, cook them for the right amount of time, and then hold. You crack them an there. egg into a bag and then. Pop no, no, no! Don't crack it. Cooks in its shell. <gasps> Oh, so you don't even need like you the don't need a bag, bag or anything. You just put the eggs directly in there, so and some people some people still put them in eggs because, again, this is a halachic issue. You should consult your local rabbi. There's a question about whether this needs to be tovold, and it can't really be tovold, but it's cooking. So there's there are different questions about about that. So some people to be tovold like half of it. Again, I'm not I'm not a <laughs> rabbinic authority, and I'm not you know I don't want to give any. We're uh, not halachic. paskining here on I'm table for two. Right, I'm certainly not paskining. I mean, this uh, is so cool. So just to finish what we did okay, here is yeah. that we did so we cooked it. I cooked it last night. I came home, salted. I didn't even salt it. I actually I put it straight in the sous vide machine in a vacuum. I happen to use one of those food saver vacuum mm-hmm. uh, packs. The primary difference between the using a vacuum and sucking it out of a, a Ziploc bag is that. You ensure that it's really vacuum-packed and thus it sinks to the bottom and you don't have to weigh it down. If you try and suck it out like I did here because I didn't bring my food saver to the, sh- to, to the studio, uh, you need to weigh it down so it stays at the bottom of the pot. Otherwise, okay. even a little bit of air will cause it to rise. So you're just – we're just warming this I just put it warm. back in this morning because I pulled it out of the fridge. But what I did is four hours because it was frozen solid and it's a two – it's probably a little bit over two inches thick. So I did it for four hours at 128, which is medium rare. Pulled it out. I had my cast iron – um, I put I it love in the oven. Cast iron skillet. I put it in the oven at 550 while it was cooking, just to have a uniform uh, heat throughout. And then I took it out. I put it on high heat. Wait, you 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 preheated your? I always well yeah. What I'm doing, I always put it in for like half an hour, an hour in at 550. The Oof. cast iron to, to get it. So that way you're ensuring that even it's, just for sous vide or cooking with it in general. I always do it. That way you know that it's uniformly hot throughout and it's consistently hot throughout. You take it out and then it's ready to go at 550. Put it on the on the um, on the oven, sear it all around, and off to the races. I love my, I love, there's nothing better than cast iron cooking. I started making chili in it. Gives it a whole different flavor. Do you feel that, Alex? Yeah, we use cast iron. I love it. Right. Oh, can I just mention one thing? Yeah, sure, of course. The Chef Alex, Fireside Monty, joining us. Of course. Right, no, hi, everybody. If you're using the uh, Ziploc bags, you can also just get a large pot of water and submerge the bag with the food in it, and the water pressure will push the air out. I've, water pressure to to, to zip lock, to do it yeah, shut like a to have the vacuum effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't. I, 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 you're a professional. I'm sure you can do that. I have yet to succeed perfect vacuum that way. Uh, but yes, immersing immersing it in as the water comes up is a is a good uh, way to do it. My kids like to suck the air out, turn blue in the face. <laughs> Whatever but, works, uh, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but just to, but not just to be clear, it's not just steak, vegetables, carrots, asparagus. Oh, come right, out amazing. Asparagus, I was in the in the in in, <gasps> in the sous vide machine. Chicken. I made what's called meat cut salmon, which is half cooked salmon. Um, 45 minutes. I brined it and then plopped it in the 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 machine for 45 minutes. Took it out. Dumped it in an ice bath, and it was the best piece of salmon I've ever had in my entire life. Um, there's an immense amount of things um, that you can do with sous vide, and it's very easy, and you should not be intimidated. The machine itself, um, I, I'm using what's an Anova, so there are two versions. I was telling the people in yeah, the studio earlier. Yeah, I was going to ask you, where do, where do we get this from? So 
personally, everything I own and buy comes from Amazon. Because so, <laughs> he lives uh, in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, I was an early investor, so I like to support myself. But, uh, and it's just convenient. Good for you. But uh, the Anova was, is an amazing. This was, what I'm using is the first version of it. The second version of it is fancier. It's got a Bluetooth. You can activate it from outside the home and get it started. So there's an attractive Sounds effect. like my car. <laughs> but I have not found it to be as reliable in maintaining the right temperature as the old one. And so I went out and I was telling the people earlier, I bought a bunch of these on eBay. I think I paid about $100. I think you could probably get this one for probably $150, uh, either the new version or the older version. I would recommend this one. Uh, there are a lot of different ones. Just look up, you know, use the power of Google and look for recommendations and things like that, and you'll find the right one. Um, I happen to love giving these as gifts. Um, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you have to give a hostess gift to somebody who you want to spend, you know, $100, $150 on a gift, it's very hard to find something for somebody who really has everything. And I found that for people interested in food, this is a phenomenal gift. It's not really penetrated the mainstream yet, but it's very yeah. easy to use. It's interesting. You wouldn't and I give have it as a bridal shower present because the bride would be like, Mom, I mean, I would. What do I do with uh, it? Yeah. You got to know your friends and you got to know your audience. But, you know, <laughs> I have like a, I have a little vela bound book of a bunch of uh, recipes and instructions and ways to cook that I've printed off the Internet in nice color. And, and, it may, and I've, I've had nothing but success. I mean, I guess nobody's really going to call me up and say that was a terrible gift you gave me. But yeah. <laughs> uh, people actually use it, so so I'm, I, it's a great you've gift. Had, you've, had, you've had feedback. I've had good feedback, and I own two or three of them that I use on a regular basis because, you know, depending on what you're cooking, different times, different temperatures, but you can make, like, a whole meal just out of sous vide and, and totally recommend it. And um, But you would put the asparagus in a different bag if you were doing steak and asparagus. You'd just pull the asparagus out much earlier. Well, it depends. It depends on the temperature. Different things right. can cook at different temperatures. And as I cooked bone marrow... Uh, in the sous vide machine uh, at you 158. The bones. The bones in the in the vacuum pack. Put them in the sous vide machine for an hour at 158. Then I took them out, seasoned them with salt, and then put them under the finished them under the broiler for for a few minutes just to just to get the caramelization. Oh my god! When I was young, I thought bone marrow was the most disgusting thing on the planet. Now it looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is very good. So you can do, you, you know, that's why I have a number of them because you some things you do d d different things at different temperatures and it's and it's and you don't want to you don't want to over or undercook things. Um, but if follow I, the recipes online and find what works so, for you. It, it's so. But cool. I highly recommend it. Do not be intimidated by it. It's, yeah, I'm intimidated. It's beyond. I'm totally intimidated. It's beyond easy. I will lend you mine. You can play with it for as long as you want. I want to um, do duck breast for Shabbos. How would I do duck breast? I mean, honestly, the best duck breast I've had is smoked in the green egg. So if you have one of those, I highly recommend using it. A what? It. A what? A green egg, which is a big smoker. I tried smoking them at home. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't do the smoking. I have so many friends that will smoke for me. I, I smoked food. I mean, I live in a Manhattan apartment, so I smoked it on my oven top. Um, I thought the house smelled amazing for four days. Uh, yeah. One of my children agreed with me, and the rest of my family was not happy with the results. So. Can, can you do duck breast on a cast iron skillet? You can do anything on a cast iron skillet. I'm going to try that. Yeah, you got me thinking, everyone. You but know what I'm going to be I, doing when I go home today. I mean, the, the person sitting next to me is supremely more qualified than I am to answer these questions. I think if you brine the duck breast a little bit beforehand, it tends to be good, but I'm sure he can uh, be helpful with that. So I don't know. Do you want to take it out and see how it yeah, let's, turned let's out? Yeah, let's have a look. All let's right. have some wine with it. Wine I mean, and food, and then we're going to switch uh, talking yeah, so to well, Alex. The wine I brought this time is... Um, oh, adult. I mean, when you, drink, when you eat a two-and-a-half-inch two and uh, steak, you really need a big wine with it. Mm. You need a wine that has a lot of tannins, that's chewy, that's big and bold to match with the, with the, with the fat and the, and, and the, and the meat. Um, what I what I brought, I mean, it's post pastel, and you know, I only I, in my apartment I only have room for my wine fridge, which holds about <laughs> which holds about 200 bottles. But you know, it's a little bit depleted, so I I, I had a limit of of availability. But what I decided to bring today was the Dalton. Uh, Dalton's a great winery up in the northern Galilee of Israel. They tend to make a lot of wines that are that provide great QPR quality price ratio. That, that I just are learned good about money. that. Yep. And what I brought today was they have a single vineyard uh, uh, Shiraz. Single vineyard just means that all of the grapes come from a, a single vineyard in a one locality. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a better wine or a not worse wine, but it means that it provides uh, uh, some insight into the quality of the terroir, which is the land on which it's grown. And the taste of the land. Exactly. And this is a 2011. And one of the reasons I decided to bring it is what happens is there are a lot of really great wines out there, a lot of expensive wines out there. And a lot of people, they'll go to the store and they'll buy, the, you know, they'll have a special occasion or they'll just want to splurge and they'll buy, you know, a really expensive wine. They'll take it home. They'll open it for Kiddush. They'll pour it and they won't like it because it, the wine needs to breathe. The ninth also, wine they have it for Kiddush in this metal Kiddush cup. 
Well, I mean, don't try your wine for the first time in a metal kiddish cup. I agree. Please, Tra- traditions like an important thing. Glasses. So you, but you can but make your kiddish, and uh, other than on the seder where it sits in the kiddish cup for a long time, especially for the second cup, um, you can make kiddish in a kiddish cup and then pour it into a glass to taste it. But my, yes, but, do that. but the wine do needs that. to breathe and the wine needs to be evolved. You know, it's some of the best, one of the best Israeli wines currently on the market is the Flam Noble 2011. But if you drink it right now, it's just, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's inappropriate and it's embarrassing. And, and the wine needs to evolve and, and, and develop, and and you have to let it evolve. So what I brought here was a 2011, the Dalton Single Vineyard. It's had a couple years in the barrel. The wine was released, I think, three years ago. Um, and to, to, to even though it's still not ready to bring, what I brought is what's called a vinaturi. Oh, we have been talking about this over the years, and no one's actually bought one in. Not Jay, not, now we have one. So... Um, Thank you. What's best to do is pour it into a... Can we a, show that up to sure. the camera so people can see if you're watching on our Nachum Siegel Net channel? And I'll, uh, I'll do it on the camera if you want to watch how it works. I, I personally, you can decant a wine, just pour it into the decanter of a wide base and give it I some got, time to I got to, three to decanters as a wedding present. I don't think I've ever used well, them properly. Well, now that we've become friends, you're going to use it all the time. Okay. So what this does is enables you, it opens up the wine without a decanter. Um, so it gives it a little bit of, of aeration. You know, it's, oxygen is bad for wine when it's in the bottle or in the barrel. Well, I mean, in the barrel it gets a little bit of oxygen, um, but but you don't want it to get you don't want to get a wine to get oxidized while it's aging. But once you're ready to drink it, a little bit of oxygen. That's why people swirl the wine a little bit to to to, to open it up a little bit. So to further things along, as I brought along the vinaturi, we're gonna pour it through. I've heard rumors that there that. ZK. ZK's kids like to pour grape juice through the vinatory. Yeah. He swears by it. I'm skeptical, but everybody... Does it change your flavor, ZK? Every, it's a little more fruity flavor. Really? So Ooh. I'm going to go home and try that uh, this evening. But um, So let's pour the <laughs> Can wine. Can you let me know how that goes? I will do that. I'd like so to hear that from you. For everyone here. Oh, how fun is this? Okay, I'm sorry. Do, wait, wait. I'm going to do wait. it for all four cups. So you'll have another chance to do this. Okay. So you pour it through, and it basically that noise is basically it's it's flo- it's getting a lot of air this. into the wine, and you try not to spill, which gets harder as the evening gets along. And this you is good. I just made an Instagram video. <laughs> no, I'm not competing with ZK's video. This but is gonna be an Instagram. I did. Everyone hear that slurping? We're picking that up on the camera, right? right? That's not us drinking out of a straw. That's the vinaturi here. Vinaturi. Okay. How do I pronounce it? I, it's, it's a, it's I have the, a horrible it's idea. The na- vinaturi. It's V-I-N-A-T-U-R-I, I think. Hey, my friend. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the steak out of the, the, the sous vide machine, as Alex? you can see. Oh, thank you very much. This is not what it's going to look drinking? like. Yeah, I'll drink. Oh. I mean, oh. it's 10 o'clock in the evening, so why More, not? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is uh, not what the steak is going to look like when it comes out of the sous vide. As I said, I prepared it last night. It's already been, this was just to bring it up to to at least somewhat room temperature. We say it's 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Someone's making kiddish somewhere. Okay. That's true. We're going to take it out. Okay. And. Oh, my God, that looks amazing. We're going to have to, do we, can we see this? Like, oh, so here you go. ZK is going to just do a close-up. Close-up on the steak. Okay, there you go, my friend. You okay, there's the your wine. Okay, so. Um, do you have a paper towel? Um, maybe, <laughs> out there. Or a napkin. A napkin. Um, um, yeah, napkin right here. Oh, here we go. That's fine. There you I go. Thank wanna, you. you know, Thank again, you, Miriam like Wallach, for providing us awesome stuff here. I oh, we're dabbing. Wanna, well, only because I, I, um, I tried to suck all the air out, but just in case, I don't want to. Okay. Is there a way I'm supposed to cut this? I assume that you know what you're doing. I can just go like this, through the middle. Um, if you'd like me to do it, I'm happy to yeah, try yeah. to do it. I should have um, brought a bigger carving knife. I brought just a regular steak knife. Okay. I was just going to split it that way. You know when you see that on those... <gasps> so if oh my you God. want, you can take a look, and this is what I'm talking about. So as you can see, there's, there's a brown only at the very, very top, which was caused by the searing. The, I, again, I did it for about a minute on each side and all around. And the rest of the steak is cooked exactly the same temperature throughout the steak. So assuming this is the type of, um, of doneness that you like, it's perfect. If you want to do it medium, you probably want to do 131, 132. But again, Serious Eats has a lot of uh, really great information about sous vide. SeriousEats.com, Chef Steps has some. And spend 10 minutes on the internet and you'll, and you'll, be, you'll know plenty uh, sufficiently. This is what's amazing. <laughs> so Enough I'm, talking, let's. All right, so I'm going to cut a few slices okay, for Alex, everyone here. Okay, Alex, are you going to be flashy with me? And then of course. Of course. We don't mind being flashy. 
Um, I did only bring one one knife. Do you know how many times I've come into the studio? Because I have to, like, you know, prepare a lot of Shabbos food in advance on a Friday morning. Obviously, I'm quite busy. So I'm um, assuming you like some fat on it. Uh, not too much fat. I'm making a wedding in a few weeks. I have to, like, watch what I'm eating. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is not where you want to be cutting corners. Um. So I um, quite often flake on a Friday morning because I taste things before I come into work. And then I'm like, uh-oh. There you go. And oh, they bring the cheesecake. Uh-oh. Cut some, just a few slices here for people to try. Oh, this is fun. And then, Alex, we're going to talk to you in a little bit. And then... Oh, see But I, I, I didn't know that... I, Alex can't opine on my cooking. That would be um, unfair. This looks so... It looks beautiful, right, Alex? Yeah. I this mean, is yeah. like... So... It's great. Okay, so we're... Um, as we Yossi go. cuts up the two-inch cut... This is... I mean... Yeah, more okay. or less two inch ribeye, uh, yeah. Ribeye, prime, prime, from prime where? grade. I to be, to be completely frank, I don't remember. I have a drawer full of uh, two inch ribeyes that I've sourced from ten or fifteen different butchers. You can throw some in names the out. out. I've um, uh, okay. So I mean, I was I was telling Naomi earlier. Uh, for many, many, many years, I was buying all of my steaks for uh, from uh, Park East Butcher on the Upper East Side. Right here in Manhattan. Which by far had the highest quality meat I've ever had in my life, including in Israel where I grew up. And um, But a piece of meat like this, which weighs about two, two and a half pounds, probably costs from the butcher $70, um, which was a lot. Um, which is a lot. And I so I decided to do a taste testing. So I've ordered two inch ribeyes pro prime grade, aged and non-aged, dry aged and non-dry aged from 10 different, 10 or 12 different butchers, which includes Park East, Prime Butcher, Easy Kosher, Breadberry, Pomegranate, Rockland Kosher, Prime in, in, in Brooklyn. Have you tried any of Gomeglat's meat? Um, I do not believe I have. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to hook you up. Gomeglat has great meat. And basically what I'm doing is I'm, prime meat. And I'm making every steak exactly the same. Three hours, again, I said four earlier because I took it out frozen. Usually what I'll do is I'll take it out and leave it to defrost during the day. Two, three, three hours in the sous vide at 128 uh, degrees, pull it out, season it, and I'm, I've been doing a taste test working my way. And La Marais, I, I forgot to mention La Marais, I love so their Marais restaurant. Good also meat. good. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so enjoy. Let's, let's have a L'chaim. L'chaim, we're going to eat in a little bit. L'chaim, everyone, to good health and all the good things. Okay. Amen. I feel like that was kiddish for us. The one thing I will say is that you're you're gonna once you oh. do this at home, you will uh, run be your your options at restaurants will be severely limited because one thing I can guarantee you is once you buy a really quality piece of prime age meat and you cook it like this at home, you will never just be able to justify ordering a steak at a restaurant ever Did I again. say that to you? When we first met, I said to, I said to Alex, I never order steak out. Right. right. I, <laughs> I want something else. You more will never cool be able... And again, most restaurants that are serving uh, high-end steaks are using sous vide as their method of cooking. It's just... It, are you? We don't sous vide. Do you serve steak? I've never been at the of restaurant. Of course we serve steak. Oh, you're going to go. It's I said most. <laughs> or let me rephrase that to many. As an attorney, you know, I feel obligated to well, be as exact as possible. Many places use it because it enables you to cook. You know, it enables you to cook it literally exact done as throughout. And it enables you to leave it in the bag for extra time. Right? You know, it's even, I said it was three hours. But you can, if you have a 10-hour workday or a 12-hour workday or, or a seven-hour yeah. workday, you just leave it in the bag and it doesn't spoil it. It just maintains the thing. I love this marbling of the meat. And it's all about So I'm going to offer people. Nobody has okay. to if they want. Would you okay. like? Oh, yeah. Should I cut these into bite-sized pieces? Yeah, we're going to cut people? them down. And then, Alex, I'm going to talk to you. We're going to do, do a little uh, talk about... Uh, all about our cheese company that sponsors us. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the oh, Nachman Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Natural and Coastal Cheeses, when quality and flavor matter. We are also heard on our Rutsheva English Radio. I want to do a quick What's for Dinner segment. Besides doing an amazing sous vide steak, we just want to talk. A lot of side dishes are coming up. People always ask me, especially over the Pesach program, people ask me, what side dishes do I make for Shabbat? Uh, because people are always, you know, kugels are fattening and they want to lose weight after Pesach. So I'm a big fan of the grilled vegetables. So which vegetables I love the most? I love asparagus. And you can even buy checked asparagus at Gourmet Glut. So uh, for our What's for Dinner segment, we are talking about, sponsored by Gourmet Glut, we're going to talk about asparagus. 
So I lay all my asparagus out about like two big, big bunches of asparagus because my kids always pick at them Shabbos afternoon, Friday afternoon as they're cooling in the kitchen. So I put them on a, like a large uh, cookie sheet. Then I line it with parchment paper. Then I lie all my grilled vegetables, whether it's asparagus or mushrooms or cut up zucchinis. So I'll put them all my asparagus across my cookie sheet, season it with kosher salt and fresh crushed garlic. Do not use anything but fresh crushed garlic and kosher salt. A little bit of extra virgin olive oil. I toss it together. I cook it at 400 degrees, actually convection 400 degrees, about 15 minutes, and they become so delicious and there's never ever leftovers if there is for some reason leftover the other week i threw some i made like such a big amount made two cookie sheet trays worth it didn't all get eaten so i threw some in a salad the next day with some fresh cut up tomatoes those little yellow zima tomatoes with cut up pieces of um green asparagus it was really pretty so that was our what's for dinner segment sponsored by gourmet glut and we're continuing our show today with alex alexander reamer from fireside in muncie uh, I don't know if you had listened to my show uh, about the roundup from uh, KFWE about, what was that, back in February, Alex's restaurant Fireside made a big splash with a meat pizza. I actually ate it directly at his restaurant and then, and along with the tumbleweed, tumbleweed onions, um, Alex was going to bring them in, but he wasn't feeling well yesterday. I told him, do not bring anything in. You were sick. You, you have a next time you come in. He's going to come on again and we'll do it again. But Alex has also got a giveaway for us for the Fireside Restaurant. We have a gift certificate. Yeah. So if you want to win a gift certificate to Fireside uh, in Monsey, email me, Naomi, at nachamsegel.com and a winner will be chosen in the next two weeks and we will notify you for your win. Uh, so we're very excited to have you. No, no, thanks for having me on board. On, on the show. So let's talk a little bit about your beginnings. When did you start um, actually cooking? Were you a kid? Like, did you start older? Yeah, no, I started in my early twenties. Why we drink drink our wine? Yeah, probably. uh, I started when I was about twenty years old. Okay, what made Uh, you decide you were living on your own? Right, yeah. Um, You know, I was interested in in the arts, and I needed a formal livelihood, and so I was doing a lot of short order cooking. What short order cooking mean for our listeners that don't know? No bar and grill stuff. Not. you know, it was, it was fresh food, but it was basically burgers, salads. You know, I would make a bucket of coleslaw, stuff like that. Um, and I had uh, a musical group, and I had some people who were fans of the musical group who were chefs at the Signature Room in Chicago on the 95th floor of the Hancock Building. Cool. And so uh, you were not Orthodox back then. No, I wasn't Orthodox. So they needed uh, they needed help right before the busy season. They they were desperate. So I interviewed with the executive chef there, uh, Mark DeThomasy, and uh, and he gave me an opportunity, put me on the line, and I just had a knack for it. And that was you know he was a CIA chef, and that was a traditional French kitchen doing continental cuisine. And I was there for a couple of years, and at the end of it there, I was the associate and the head of the line. And uh, from the line, explain what the line is to to our listeners. Line in a restaurant. Right. So when you're serving food al minute, the line is basically you have a, a, a set of stations that are preparing the dishes that you're going to eat. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it starts at the, the most basic, which is the garmage, which is cold food salads, um, all the way up to saute, which are the more intricate dishes. Uh, it includes the grill, you know, or meats, proteins, and the fried veggie station. Um I guess, you know, they call the kitchen term for it is brigade, that you have a hierarchy in the kitchen and people are performing various duties. And so generally, um, many people either go to culinary school and then they start by doing prep or some people start as a dishwasher and they have a knack for it and they work all the way up. That's cool. Yeah. Um, well, that was, one of the, that was one of the things that impressed me the most is that in the signature room, which was a large kitchen, uh, you know, there's probably like 20, 25 people in the kitchen itself. The kitchen itself was 2,000 square feet. Um, you know, you had South American workers who started as dishwashers and they were sous chefs. And, and you know, they were they worked their way up to become executive chefs at other places. Um, when a, lot, a lot of times you think of these workers that are coming across the border that they're just washing dishes. But uh, a lot of them are really intelligent and talented. Um, and we've seen in contemporary cuisine that they bring a lot of influences. Right. Um I myself do uh, tacos okay. because we used to eat tacos for a family meal. They would make tacos like they made at home as opposed to 
having grown up and thinking of a taco as, as like an Ortega hard shell taco with meat with the uh, seasoning in it. Right. Um, that's what a, that's what tacos are to me. Right. So I so I experienced and, from a lot of my coworkers at that time that you know the fresh tacos with the fresh uh, corn tortillas and and the, the fresh salsas, the fresh ingredients, and they're delicious. So we put uh, I put those on the menu. At Fireside, as uh, you know, having learned those from guys that I worked with in, in my early days in the kitchen. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you brought a lot of that into Fireside, which I think is yeah. really yeah. made it. How'd you get the idea of that meat pizza? People, you've got to get up to Fireside. Oh, I, I, right. I gave you a shout out a few times yeah. after I no, came I to your restaurant yeah. and in the Mishpacha magazine and 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 uh, after KFW. But it's it's so unique. You know, like yeah, it's, no, it's I not just it. yeah, people you. think meat pizza, they just pop sauce and, and chop meat on it. You've got like six different kinds of, right? <laughs> <Am> I, <laughs> right. No, okay, sure. Well, no, I, I know where you're coming from. Um, <laughs> okay, so, right. A lot, a lot of it has to do with the way that I grew up. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, which happens to be a big culinary uh, city. Crazy. Um, I was just there uh, twice in the last few months yeah. and I'm going back. You know, uh, I, didn't, I didn't grow up keeping kosher. You know, I grew up reform. So there, I didn't have any dietary limitations, and um, and both my parents influenced me in, in different directions. My mother was a great cook, and, and my father, you know, he he appreciated those kind of working class. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call it a diner today because diner, people think of different things as a diner, but local-owned, you know, oftentimes – they got Greek friends and their parents owned restaurants. Uh, they weren't they weren't Greek restaurants, but they were restaurants, and and they had that type of fare where you get the the London broil, the steak and eggs. And in Chicago, you had Lou Malnati's Pizza. What's that? So Lou Malnati's is is basically you know when people think of the Chicago style deep dish pizza, Lou Malnati's and Gino's East, those are the two uh, names that basically made that reputation, that created that legendary Chicago style pizza. And that was something that I loved. I mean, that was my favorite pizza, hands down. My mouth is watering as he's talking about deep dish pizza. Yeah, no, and it's different. When I came to New York and I was looking for the deep dish, it was always the thick crust. Right, that's what they have. They don't have real deep dish. Yeah. Can you make us a real deep dish pizza? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, of course. That's what we do. Like a milkshake one, though. Oh, milkshake. Well, yeah, of course. Not at Fireside because they're flashic. I mean, just yeah, style. Of course, yeah. That's uh, you know. So that's something that um, I think a lot of people who come from the non-kosher world into the kosher world are looking to uh, recreate their culinary experiences um, in a kosher in a kosher way. Even something as simple as a hamburger. Um, you know, I remember when I first moved to New York, there weren't really good kosher hamburgers. Um, and, and everybody that I knew, like uh, Chef Mike Gershkovich, he opened up the Amsterdam Burger Company. Yep, um, love, you know, love everybody that. Everybody was talking about how there's a dearth of these quality foods that we experience in the non-kosher world and the kosher world. And nowadays, I think that that's pretty much been, um, you know, that's the past now because now you can go eat in a lot of great places. Um, What's your favorite restaurant outside of Fireside? Oh, well, do you get, right. Do you, do you get out of the, your I, you own know, kitchen? I, I hardly ever get out. So, uh, but <laughs> you before, can't answer that. I do. I like to, I like to, cla- I mean, La Marais was my favorite restaurant when I moved to New yeah. York City. We like La Marais. Um, it's a classic. Yeah. It doesn't you know, change. It's always. Right. Uh, you know, but besides that, I generally prefer uh, chef driven restaurants. You know, of course, ETC, Chef Seth Warshaw, who uh, Good. really in the kosher world has mentored me. Um, you know, Nobo, Mike's. Um, I trailed, staged uh, for a few days at Pardes with Chef Moses. Oh my! God. Um, you know those those are great those are great restaurants. Outside of that, I haven't had too much of an opportunity to just go restaurant hopping. Oh, we we can all go do that. <laughs> Maybe hop right. on a plane somewhere. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So you so know, when did you start finding religion? Okay, so I think was, that's you know yeah. part of who you are. Well, sure. So it was about four or five years after I started taking cooking seriously. Um, and then I, I had been introduced to it, uh, you know, in, uh, after high school I went to Israel, and um, and then later when I started to become more firm, so I left the, I really left the culinary world mostly because I didn't, I thought the transition would be seamless. Um, you know, I, I remember when I went to my first interview at a kosher catering company in Chicago, and they saw my resume, they were really excited, and I was excited. And then I I got to work and I, and I realized that the trans that the transition was not going to be seamless and I really when I went to Yeshiva University I put cooking on the back burner um, I did work part time as a prep cook at uh, you know at, at La Marais and at, at uh, Lavana's. Um, well, Lavana, she's been a guest here. She's mm-hmm. very talented. Um, I, yeah, I doubt she would even remember. It was part time. Is at YU? You know, I would go for. You were a student. Uh, there? Yeah, yeah, it was four. You know, I'd go for four hours a couple of days a week, um, but then. 
you know, that changed a little bit, I guess, you know, because when I, when I got there, it was like you would go to Mr. Broadway, which is a great restaurant, but where I was coming from, it was just too much of a transition in terms of I was looking for a, a certain kind of kitchen that didn't really exist so much in the coastal world. Um, you know, maybe I don't know when the Prime Grill opened, but you just don't have the size. Uh, you don't have the customer base to, to promote, you know, a kitchen where you have 30 guys in the kitchen and you have an executive chef and you have four sous chefs and you have, you know, the garmage, the big garmage, and then you have the little, you know, who's putting out the brunch for 300 people. Um, it just wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't find that. But what I did find later was, uh, and this, uh, this I found with ETC, with uh, Chef Seth Warshaw, is the thing that attracted me to working in the kitchen was how comparable it was going from, say, a recording studio or a visual arts studio into uh, cooking into a kitchen. It was like the same thing. Like, it was easy for me to spend 13 hours in, in a recording studio. Um, do was, you sing or play? I play. And I compose. What do you play? Guitar, primarily. Cool. Um, but the, th- the thing is, is I could spend 13 hours in a recording studio and it would go by like that. Um, you know, if I spent four hours filing data... I would I would go crazy. Right, like we can be in the studio for 50 minutes and 50 seconds, what we're up to now, and it's gone like that. <laughs> right. So when I got into a kitchen, really a specific kind of kitchen, I mean, you know, like a chef's kitchen, um, or the kind of kitchen, you know, that you would, you know, like a formal kitchen, it was the same thing. I could spend 13 hours in the kitchen. And, and it and goes like, like that. that. Um, you should so have seen the kitchens at our Pesach Hotel. Right. It was, sure it was not fantastic. normal. At the at the Trump, oh, my God, at the Doral, it was unbelievable. The Gamage kitchen was like a whole massive right. setup. The presidential Trump. The Trump, the presidential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're staying not political. Right. We're not political. Oh, yeah. Because um, <laughs> yeah, so. I'm not political. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't being political. Yeah, I just no. think it's I funny. Actually, yeah. I became a citizen four years ago, so now I can vote. Yay. Oh, Mazel tov. Okay, Yeah, yeah. I was great. actually really super excited when that happened. So uh, with Chef Warshaw... I suddenly found myself in a kosher kitchen, and not only was it a kosher kitchen, but it's a small kosher kitchen, almost like I would call it like a boutique, you know, where he was uh, pushing the envelope in the kosher world, and he was cooking uh, using the techniques and, and adapting new techniques, and it, and it was basically the kind of disciplined, creative environment that I was looking for. Um, and so I stayed, I've stayed, I stayed with Seth, uh, you know, I, I tried to branch out a couple of times, you know, looking for, you know, the right fit with owners and different restaurants. I wound up working with Seth for about three years. Uh, on the line. Um, Cooking on the line. Yeah. You know, uh, which is, you know, that's basically if I would just say if anybody is interested in becoming a chef, um, then you have to work on the line. You just have to do it. There's no way. You know, I know I know a lot of people who went to like the kosher culinary school and then they. It's, no, it's not around I know. anymore. It's unfortunate. So you know. It gave Panasa to so many kids. And yeah. Young, young people that, you know, were looking for something to do. My sous chef, uh, Chef Mikey Berger. <laughs> it's not really his name, but he he's he was from the early uh, graduating classes there. He's great, um, you know. But a lot of people come out and they think that they're going to go from culinary school straight into being a chef, and really, now I personally didn't go to culinary school, and and, and oh, really, you didn't. no, so you didn't. Um, go. You worked on the line. I yeah, well, didn't go. Yeah, everybody, right? Most people, you don't have to go to culinary school. It, it I think it helps because it fills gaps. But it, going to culinary school and, and working in a kitchen on the line is not the same thing. A right, of, you have to be in it. You got to sweat it. You got to do it. You got to. Yeah, I, I, I didn't work on a line, and I didn't go to culinary school. I just took. Well, it. okay, but you, so you I, know. I created my own line, and I was the you know. Right, you have your own niche, which is good. Also, I mean, that, that's like you know listening to Yossi with food and everything. I mean, you know, he has the you guys have, have the luxury to to right educate yourselves and to execute food. You know, it's different when you have to execute that steak for two hundred people right. in four hours. So. Um, right. You know, that's basically the only thing is the intensity of working in a kitchen. That's what I, mean, I tell my I tell my wife. You know, my wife, I have four kids. My wife can cook for Shabbos, three course dinners, and two and a half hours with like six dishes. I cook for these weekly Rosh Chodesh clubs. I have five dishes. I'm up till two o'clock in the morning every night for five days, and at the end, you know, the kitchen looks like a tornado hit it. I couldn't right. do that. I couldn't <laughs> cook for real. Right. I cook for fun. Right. Well, that's I, real you know. cooking, this sir, what, for this sure. This is what I saw at my Pesach program. Ex- it's about the execution. Yeah. You can cook fantastic food, but if you can't plate it and get it out there as a caterer or a chef or a restaurant, even to your family, like I, I, I've seen, I learned a lot this year about execution. It's got to be from the oven to the cu- cu- you know family member, customer, consumer, whatever, beautifully done. And right. you know, it can't get cold. 
Right? Right, yeah. Which is why I like uh, restaurant cooking much more than catering. Um, I like the whole a la menu experience. Uh, you know, What's it say again? A la? A la menu. Like you're making it to order. A la? Say, say it slowly. No, a, a la menu. A la menu. Have you heard of that before? Of course you have, right? Yeah, the food was cooked. In a minute. You ordered it before. It wasn't prepared in advance. Okay. I have not heard that term before. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, uh, you know, that's my, personally my most favorite kind of cooking. And we try, and at Fireside, we, we basically try to make everything as fresh as possible. Um, and we do almost everything in-house. Uh, I think, you know, our, our hamburger buns, I'm not going to say where we get them from, but we get them from a, a really great place. But outside of that, almost nothing is sourced. Cool. Except for the ingredients. Right, of course. I, I love those tumble we spoke about, like the meat pizza, his steaks are great, everything's uh, but. I've never ever seen the tumbleweed onions anywhere else. It's red onions that are battered and deep fried. It sounds so simple, right? But, but it's not. It is not an onion ring as you know it. It's it's really something. Right. It's, it's yeah. like in a buttermilk, and I put that in quotes. Right. It's a, it's a power of buttermilk, um, and it's uh, it's not battered. We just dredge it in cornstarch. Can I ask what you use for power of buttermilk? I'm just curious. Yeah. It's a, well. It's a it's a ratio. It's a secret. Of, well, no, 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 I mean, look, right. go to Google. Look up, <laughs> look up kosher and butter. Because I'm looking for um, yeah, no, it's, it's chicken. It's a it's a combination of uh, vinegar and soy milk, and soy you know whatever ratio you you, you want to use, you can figure it out to try it. Yeah, cool. I mean, obviously, we have a ratio we use, but people just do. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, you know, trying to make fried chicken to bring over fried chicken. I've yet to be. Oh right, yeah. You know who used to make a really good fried chicken and waffles? It's now closed. Gotham Gotham Burger. Avi Roth once was on my radio show, and then he invited me to come for lunch afterwards. Um, and he made a fried chicken and waffle on a fr- the fried chicken. It was the most mo- moistest. I don't know how to say that so well. My grandma's gone today from the red wine. The most moist fried chicken I've ever had on a red velvet waffle, and then we poured maple syrup over. It was like brilliant, simple, brilliant. All right. Well, they're still open in Teaneck. Right. I know, but I don't know if they're doing yeah. that there. But yeah. Okay. It's great. So, what, anything next? What's what, have we got a spring menu, a summer menu coming yeah, up? No, yeah. So we well we have so part of our menu changes seasonally. Um, you know we have we have the, the staples which are the steaks and uh, and we use only you know like you were saying we use only prime meat we get from Alley and okay. um, and we butcher down the whole one hundred and three. So um, what does that mean? That, that means we get the whole rib and we we butcher it down ourselves. And cool. It's, and Very it's all, nice. It's all prime. The whole kosher um, rib. I'm sorry. What the whole kosher. The whole co- well, yeah, the, right. Uh, what do you mean the whole kosher? You, don't, you, you guys have knicker meat? You guys have no, we have the, it's the 103. It's the long the bone. Seven, right, right, yeah, exactly. What is well, 103? What's, what does that mean? What's so that it's, technical it's term? It's the length of the bone on the rib. The, the, the rack has seven bones on it, but if you get, uh, say, like a, a 109, um, that the short rib has been uh, removed. We get the 103 that includes the short rib, so we butcher our own short ribs also. So I just, you know, some of my listeners are not so familiar with all the different technologies so we're of cutting up the meat, so to oh, speak. Oh, bandsaw. Pretty old school. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. Maybe, maybe in a couple of years we'll have lasers, but uh, right, now, <laughs> right now it's the bandsaw. Cool. Um, you know, and so, uh, and so we had, we had uh, currently, um, let's see, we're changing things up in terms of, you know, the soups change seasonally. Right now we're running a uh, sun, uh, sun choke puree. Love it. Sunchokes are in. Yeah, with a horseradish mousse, uh, which is, you know, really tasty. Um, Sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we were doing... um, Let's go afterwards. (laughs) uh, You know, so we were doing a... I called it a red pepper bisque. Technically, a bisque is a a seafood, is a creamy seafood. Um, We were doing it with uh, red peppers. Um, You know, we also have uh, chicken with dolomono, which is a Greek-style chicken. Uh, we were serving it with white asparagus, but right now we're serving it with charred spring onions. Um, so, and the desserts are changing, uh, you know, ba- and then we're coming up with some new, some other new items. Tr- you know, we want to experiment with fish a little bit. Um, you know, fish is obviously something in the kosher world that... Uh, yeah, people are very timid from fish. Yeah. And by the way, I think I just want to say this because... I did eat at Noble once, and, and Chef Josh Masson does excellent fish. So dishes. talented. He's so yeah. talented. Oh, my gosh. This has been an amazing show. Yeah. No, having, thanks for having me on board. Oh, my pleasure. We were very 
very happy to have you. We hope you'll come back. And oh, we'll, for sure, yeah. We'll, we'll have a taste. Remember, we'll have you guys on together. We'll do some. We should do a cooking demo, like a real hands-on I, I, cooking I, demo. I'm intimidated to cook with real chefs. So <laughs> well, if, if he sous vide the meat and somebody gives me a blowtorch, I'll sear it. Okay, we actually had Ari White in here with a blowtorch. And see that sign that says no oh. smoking? <laughs> oh, Ari. I went to YU with Ari. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, okay, we're cool. Friends. Okay, yeah. very cool. He's, he's a friend and a, a guest, a frequent guest yeah, on the show also. Cool stuff with charcuterie and different curing and things like that. Yeah, I cure my stuff in a fridge under my desk at work, so I hope none of my... I wonder what's going on in the, in the fridge over there in the office. Okay, this is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nacham Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Natural and Kosher Cheeses, where quality and flavor matter. If you have missed any of our shows, you can catch them on the archives on nachamsiegel.com. We've got music sponsored by our friends at Kedem right up until Lichbenzing. Shabbat shalom, everyone. See you next week. Great guest lineup next week. <laughs>